Well, good morning, Peachtree. So good and so grateful to have you with us this morning. And grateful and glad to have you come back to worship when it is time and right for you, when you feel like in your risk profile and it's safe for you. We're still practicing social distancing and all the different precautions that we're taking here at the church, but we have both of our services available on Sunday morning, a 9.15 traditional service and a 10.45 contemporary service. So we welcome you when the moment is right. And for all of us who have been a part of our online community for all these months, I just wanted to say thank you for hanging in there. If you're a part of the extended Peachtree family from all over the country around the world, we value the spiritual unity that we get to have in Jesus Christ together as God's people. We're in the midst of a series of messages on the Gospel of John. And as we walk through the Gospel of John, we're discovering that life-giving belief that Jesus promises, and that that belief changes us, that we become no longer cynical, we become no longer empty, we are no longer religious, no longer ashamed, no longer paralyzed, and this week we're talking about being no longer hungry. And to begin that, we're going to dive into John chapter 6, starting in the first verse. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs that he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. You know, the old adage is is that a picture is worth a thousand words, and that's never more true than for somebody who's in the photography business. There's a guy by the name of Greg Segal who lives out in California who was struck and wanted to do something in art to communicate about how much waste we all generate as Americans. You know, that waste is often invisible to us, but as Americans, we generate about 4 million tons of waste per week. And he wanted us to help to see what it is that that's a part of our lives. We put it in a can, and then we don't think anything about it. And so Greg invited some of his neighbors, some of his friends, the people who lived near to him, all, uh, whether they were single or in a family, to gather all of their trash for a week and to put it in a bag and to bring it to his house. 
And then Greg, as the photographer, particularly a portrait photographer, was going to create a portrait of each individual or family with their trash. These were actually displayed in the Smithsonian Museum. Here is one of the images here of a family with their trash on the beach. Here was an image of in the trees of another family with their trash. And then here was a single grand adult with his trash. His purpose was to take the invisible and to make it visible. Because if something remains invisible, we choose to not do anything about it. And then he wrote these words. He said, I'm concerned not only by how much we throw away, but by how blithe we are to the problem. That's a good SAT words for you there, kids. Blithe means a casual indifference. How you and I, because things remain invisible to us, we don't become passionate about what we could do. His goal wasn't to make people feel bad for guilt's sake. It was to create an awareness so that we might become better stewards of what we have and what we produce. Well, you see, the series of how the Gospel of John unfolds is through a whole bunch of signs. And a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how the Gospel of John is actually kind of a cascading nature of those signs. And the important things about signs is that they point to deeper and truer realities. And so we've seen a variety of these signs. We've seen the sign of water becoming wine and how that was a sign of emptiness turning into abundance. We saw the sign of new birth or rebirth with Nicodemus, which is a sign of how religion needs to turn into a relationship. We saw the sign of a deep well and of a Samaritan woman at that well. And that was a sign of when she leaves her water jar, of how shame can become praise. Last week, we saw the sign of a paralyzed man being healed and how even in the midst of those moments that we are trapped, that we might actually become the people who are mobilized for God's goodness in the world, that we're freed. This week, we're going to be looking at another symbol. It's the symbol of bread. It's a particular sign because the way that the famous story of the feeding of the 5,000 talks about it is that it's a particular kind of bread. It's barley bread. Now, when you and I hear the word barley, we might think of a cold day of a particular kind of soup. But in the first century, in that part of the world, this was a very clear word as to what was going on here. For you see, barley was one of the sure signs of being impoverished, of being poor. We don't know the name of this boy who offered up his sack lunch to Jesus. Here's what we do know. We know that he was a part of the poor. Here's how Philo of Alexandria puts it. This barley is in fact a very questionable nourishment and is appropriately for irrational animals or unfortunate humans. That was written in the first century, in the same century as Jesus's earthly ministry. In other words, what's very clear with this story of the multiplication of the loaves and the fishes What's very clear is that Jesus is caring 
for not just the multitudes. He's particularly caring for the poor. We know through the long arc of Scripture that God cares and feeds for his people. Just as Moses cared and that God provided the manna for his people in the wilderness. Just as the prophet Elisha helped to feed the people in the midst of a famine. God has not only heard the cries of his people, he is always providing and giving to his people their daily bread. In other words, this is not just a metaphor. It's a sign. One of the mistakes that we made when we read Scripture is that we turn everything into a metaphor. A sign is different from a metaphor. A sign is pointing us to the reality, the reality of God's kingdom coming on earth as it is in the heavens. And one of the clear signs of that is of God's provision for those in need. You know, when COVID struck our communities, one of the things that I'm most proud of of the Peachtree family is that you immediately wanted to respond and to mobilize. Your leaders identified that in the midst of the social distancing and the financial uncertainty of what was happening, that we knew that one of the most pressing issues for many of the poor was going to be food insecurity. And so through our effort called Feeding the 5,000 this last year, over a half a million dollars of resources that were pulled together and partnered with other resources in a multiplier effect, volunteer hours of packing food and mobilizing food, you literally have fed the multitudes in the course of this last year. That's been a sign of God's goodness and his advancing kingdom coming. And just as Jesus ushered in the feeding of the 5,000 in his day, it is our call and the mantle of his mission on our shoulders for us to continue that in our moment in time. In order to help to explain this and demonstrate this, I want to welcome a friend of Peachtree, a guy by the name of Jeremy Lewis, who is the head of a ministry partnership that we have primarily worked with. He's the head of Urban Recipe. And so we want to welcome Jeremy today for a special conversation. Thank you, Rich. It's been, uh, it's great to be here with you. And I've been in Atlanta a long time. I grew up here, went to Woodward Academy, went to um, University of Georgia, and then went to Emory for graduate school. My wife's a teacher, a special ed math teacher at Decatur High School. And I've got three amazing uh, kids, a boy and two girls. So uh, it's wonderful to be here. That's about as Atlanta pedigree as you could get in terms of resume. Hey, why don't you tell us a little bit about your story, particularly like how did you go from kind of your education and your background to uh, becoming a part of, you know, working with food insecurity? Well, that, that's a, that's a, the answer to that question is, uh, can be long, it's, uh, but Try the, short the shorter version. version of it is uh, I grew up uh, as a, pastor's kid and a part of the church involved in food ministry, uh, involved in uh, homeless ministry, um, and was fascinated about the desire to assist and, and help those. I really sought to go to, to um, seminary to figure out what it might look like for me to, to dig in and, and understand how I can serve more deeply. In that work, though, while in, in graduate school, I went on a tour of 
um, an example of, of asset-based work here in Atlanta, and that was at the time George Avenue Community Ministry, which became Urban Recipe. And I was immediately hooked in the way that they worked together in this food ministry to uh, build relationships, to address the need, that there was a role for everybody. For me, the food is, was a way of bringing people together uh, to connect that was natural out of a need, but also to, to pull out and tease out people's gifts and abilities. And really, the way that God has created us to, to thrive and to work with uh, everybody, I believe, is, is gifted um, in special and unique ways. And we become ultimately what God's called us to be, uh, as you mentioned earlier, in community. Um, as we do that, the work of Christ together. So one of the things I noticed when I was with you and I got to go down and see firsthand pre-pandemic what we were doing um, in partnership with you at Urban Recipe, um, it, it's different from a traditional food bank. Can you help people understand what's different about what your philosophy of ministry is, what you guys do that's different from kind of traditional food distribution? Yes, the, the co-op is, is quite different from a traditional food pantry in that the members, the people who are a part of the, the food distribution are involved with every part of it. So where you would normally have volunteers who help unload the truck or bring things in and sort the food out, that's all done by, in a, in a typical uh, food co-op, is done by the co-op members themselves. It happens regularly, every other week, 26 times a year. And so co-op members get that same sense of ownership and participation um, and connection to their community by working alongside each other and helping each other out uh, to meet that food need that they have. So one of the words I remember you said when I went on a tour with you was you, you talked about ownership, but you also talked about kind of like dignity or, yes. or pride. What, what role does that play in, in what we're trying to do together? Yes, well, uh, our tagline is dignity tastes good. And I think that um, we want to create a system and a, and a ministry where people feel uh, dignity and have a sense of dignity in what they're doing that when they show up to participate in their co-op, uh, there's not a sense of shame that they have to come and get food or need to get food. They're a part of the solution. There's an opportunity with a dignifying relationship to go deeper, to connect with each other on a, on a different level than just as a consumer or as a client. But we're, we're all a part of, and what we say in the co-op is we're in this together. And I can't think of a better example than Peachtree of how we've been in this together with one another. Yeah. How has COVID in your mind impacted the communities that you serve? Well, it's, it's been challenging, I know, for everyone. I think uh, for the communities we serve, the, the need has un unfortunately increased greatly. I mean, we've, we've seen a uh, marked increase in the demand. Um, I think what's been beautiful about this and I think makes us more committed to the co-op even more than we were before is that it created stability even in the midst of a crisis that people know that they're going to be able to not have to worry about food. Being able to even expand the work that we're doing right now uh, has been a, a great blessing. 
well, not only are you helping to provide stability in the food security, but you're providing stability in relationship and community. And then in addition to that, the layering of the stability and the security that comes from the gospel of Jesus Christ. How do you see God's grace play out in the life of a co-op? Can you give us an example or a story of how, how you've seen that at work? Wow, in, in the midst of the co-op um, in this year, as the pandemic rolled out, co-op members that could get out and do so safely decided to reach out and say, look, we can continue to help support and deliver and provide uh, access to food to families that are in our co-op that can't do that. I, I love what you talked about with uh, availability um, and how the best ability is availability and that we're making ourselves available to God and to one another. Uh, the story that we're talking about today from uh, the Gospel of John is John chapter 6 and the feeding of the 5,000. And I can't help but imagine that that story would be informative and inspiring for you in the work and in the ministry that you do. Uh, is there a dimension of that story? Is there a part of that story that's important for you personally? I, I love that story. Um, yes, there's a, there's a lot to that story that we could talk about for a long time. Um, Philip's response to Jesus, uh, who I think in some ways was being a little tongue-in-cheek and uh, had an idea of exactly what he was about to do, um, and Philip kind of played right into his response, and how in the world are we going to respond, Jesus? You want us to feed these people? How? How would we possibly do that? And he says not even six months' wages would be enough to cover the 5,000 people that are assembled here. And I think for us, people often think about the, the giant need that's present, even in the metro Atlanta area, much less the entire country, the hunger that's present, the insecurity that folks have around food. And it seems like a daunting task. But of course, Jesus knew that through him, a miracle was about to happen and that people were going to give and people were going, the, the, the food was going to be multiplied where we know at the end, more than enough. Was it 12 basket full of leftovers were there? And that's the co-op. People come together in a community that may not by themselves, there's no way that they could answer all of the need that they have present. And by ourselves as a small organization, there's no possible way that we could do it alone either. But it's in this greater community that we're able to address the immediate need of the people who are gathered there to make sure that everybody's fed. So much so that there's an abundance that co-op members, I think it's around 68% of our co-op members report that they're able to share food with a neighbor. Wow. They're able to, they're overflowing. And that's the basket full of food that's left over. And the same thing, the doubt that I bring to this great task that Philip brought also to this unbelievable task that Jesus is asking the disciples to do becomes possible through God's grace, through God's provision, and through God's changing of our hearts. 
Well, there's no question that our partnership with Urban Recipe has changed my heart and has changed the hearts of many people who have been a part of Peachtree. Is there any, any kind of word of encouragement and or challenge that you want to extend to Peachtree at this point in time? Wow. I mean, a word of encouragement is y'all are amazing and awesome. Everyone that we've engaged with, you're doing something really, really well in preparing people to serve alongside. The relationship that we have with you uh, has allowed us to respond together. Uh, right now, through the mobile pantry work that we've been doing together, those create opportunities for us to have a relationship, to slowly get to know one another, and then to give out of our own gifts and our own talents and our own abilities, and to listen for the opportunities that God has for us to both look inside and also share those gifts with others. Well, I really appreciate that encouragement and um, the incredible nature of God's abundance and the inspiration of generosity and love and the multiplier effect of what we can do in our moment in time is something that we're privileged to do in partnership with you. So Jeremy, for your friendship in the gospel, for the good work that you guys are doing that we get to come alongside with, we really do give you thanks. Thank you. I'm so encouraged by that conversation and even more so by the partnership with Jeremy. And I absolutely agree with him that in the face of so much need, it can be overwhelming. Um, one of the beautiful things and kind of the details of the unfolding of the John 6 story is that that is how the disciples felt as well. In the original Greek of this passage, there is a phrase that repeats three times in this short passage. I want to show it to you. It starts first in verse 5. Where shall we buy bread for all these people to eat? And then a few verses later, to buy enough bread to have a bite for all these people. But how far will they go with all these people? As soon as a problem goes from being visible, uh, from invisible to being visible, one of the immediate reactions is that we can get easily overwhelmed. What are we to do with all these people? What are we to do with all these people? What are we to do with all these people? And what's interesting for me in the midst of that feeling, Jesus provides the testing ground for us to realize that we can let him deal with the scope of the problem. What we're called to do is to be faithful with what we have. The hero of today's story is an impoverished boy with a little sack lunch with barley bread. We take what we have, what little it is, and we offer it to God. And when we put something in God's hands, it can be magnified and multiplied, and we now get to be a part of the, the human signage that is that points to the reality of God's kingdom coming on earth. In other words, the signs that are proclaimed in the Gospel of John are not just signs from, that we're supposed to learn from long ago. They're supposed to be ongoing signs that you and I continue to exhibit and demonstrate even today. Let me share with you a couple of how those signs are continuing today. I love the story of Emily and Billy. As soon as COVID hit, they realized that their wedding this last fall was not going to happen in the way that they had planned. And so they went to City Hall and they got you know, married in a way that they didn't expect, but they also had this contract. They had a contract with a caterer for $5,000 worth of food for their wedding celebration. 
Well, that was already the deposit, the deposit amount that they had put down. And instead of getting into a shouting match, a fighting match, or trying to exit the contract, they approached their caterer and said, look, it's almost Thanksgiving. Is there any way we can just remobilize that food to try to feed hungry people for a Thanksgiving meal? And that's exactly what they did. They turned their, what was supposed to be their wedding feast into a feeding of the 5,000 moment. And not only did they just write that check, they also, and here's Emily, they, they helped to pack the boxes and to distribute and to help to demonstrate the care and the love of what it means to wrap our arms around our community. We do this here at Peachtree when we do things like the Seeds of Hope that you've learned about or participated in earlier um, from our broadcast today. We packed more seeds this year than we've packed ever before because we want to invest in those communities around the world and to help to show them the love and the care and the multiplier effect of the gospel at work. I cannot tell you the, some of the largest uh, bits of produce I have ever seen in my life were in Malawi and getting to see the little seeds that you have packed and to watch them grow and flourish and feed people and provide sustainable livelihoods for them all from a little bit of a sacrifice. And by far away, one of my favorite images or signs of God's goodness early on in the pandemic from Naples, Italy, where you see they resurrected an old practice that went all the way back to medieval times of lowering baskets for people to be able to get their food. You see, this was a time when Italy was hit particularly hard by the pandemic. And as a result, they were having to rely on the generosity and the decentralized effort of individuals helping to care for their community. So they placed these baskets lowered from rooftops and from windowsills in order to be able to offer to them, if you need food, take food. If you have extra food, offer the food. I love the names of these baskets. They were called solidarity baskets. Because as Jeremy reminded us, just a few minutes ago. We're all in this together. I know of families in this church that during the season of the feeding of the 5,000 who actually set an extra table, an extra spot at their table, if you will, to remind them that there are others in need. There are other families who have set aside a certain amount of money kind of as if we were feeding one extra person at our table in order to give that so that we might be able to care for the feeding and the food security of this community. And hopefully what you've learned and discovered today is the multiplier effect of that it's not just about food. It's about so much more. It is about togetherness. It is about being a community. And it's even about the spiritual significance of us discovering that Jesus himself declared himself to be, I am the bread of life. Don't miss the connection of what I said earlier. The bread that was offered initially for the feeding of the 5,000 was barley bread. Jesus takes on the form of one of the poorest images that was available to them. And in saying that he's the bread of life, he reminds them that he will sustain them. He will care for them. 
and that He is still doing that today supernaturally, spiritually, and tangibly through a place like Peachtree. A picture really is worth a thousand words. We could preach and we could teach and we need to do those things. But one of our goals is to be a visible sign of the invisible kingdom. For us to not be casually indifferent to what's going on in our community around us. For for us to respond with hope and with faith. And even though the problem is overwhelming, to recognize that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, that he's the Lord of all, and that God is the one who can make this miracle possible. And so today, I want to say as your pastor, thank you. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for what you're doing. And the recognition that the outflow of our worship are people getting to see those little signs of Jesus as not just the Lord of creation, but the bread of life, and that he's here to care for their needs. Let's pray together. Our gracious and loving Father, we know that the life-giving belief that you offer us challenges us. It challenges us to provide food for the hungry. We thank you, God, that you have given us these little glimpses, these pictures, where nothing is wasted and where things that are normally invisible become visible, not to make us feel guilty, but to help us to think about the wise stewardship of what you've given to us. Thank you that you took on the sign and received the little gift of poverty, of a barley loaf, to show us that you will feed your people And that that's not just a metaphor, it's a sign, something that we're supposed to lift up and to continue in our day and age. Lord, I thank you for the efforts of this church. And that in the midst of all these people, you are still doing little things with great love, even through us. And so help us to find our own version of a solidarity basket. And to share what we have with those in need. And we pray all of those things. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.